Chapter Three of The Clue by Carolyn Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three A Cry in the Night. Help! The loud cry of a single word was not repeated, but repetition was unnecessary, for the sound rang through the old Van Norman house and carried its message of fear and horror to all, awake or sleeping within its walls. It was about half-past eleven that same night, and Cicely Dupuy, still fully dressed, flew from her bedroom out into the hall. Seeing a light downstairs and hearing the servants' bells, one after another, as if rung by a frantic hand, she hesitated a moment only and then ran downstairs. In the lower hall, Schuyler Carleton, with a dazed expression on his white-drawn face, was uncertainly pushing various electric buttons which, in turn, flashed lights on or off, or rang bells in distant parts of the house. For a moment Cicely stared straight at the man. Their eyes met, their gaze seemed to concentrate, and they stood motionless as if spellbound. This crisis was broken in upon by Marie, Madeline's French maid, who came running downstairs in a hastily donned negligee. "'Mon Dieu!' she cried. "'Où est mademoiselle?' With a start, Carlton turned from Cicely, and still with that dazed look on his face, he motioned Marie toward the wide doorway of the library. The girl took a step toward the threshold and then, with a shriek, paused and ventured no further. Cicely, as if impelled by an unseen force, slowly turned and followed Marie's movements, and as the girl screamed, Cicely grasped her tightly by the arm, and the two stood staring in at the library door. What they saw was Madeline Van Norman, seated in a chair at the library table. Her right arm was on the table, and her head, which had fallen to one side, was supported by her right shoulder. Her eyes were partly closed, and her lips were parted, and the position of the rigid figure left no need for further evidence that this was not a natural sleep. But further evidence there was. Miss Van Norman still wore her yellow satin gown, but the beautiful embroidered bodice was stained a dull red, and a crimson stream was even then spreading its way down the shimmering breadths of the trailing skirt. On the table, near the outstretched white hand, lay a Venetian dagger. This dagger was well known to the onlookers. It had lain on the library table for many years and though ostensibly for the purpose of a paper-cutter, it was rarely used as such. Its edges were too sharp to cut paper satisfactorily, and, moreover, it was a wicked-looking affair, and many people had shuddered as they touched it. It had a history, too, and Richard Van Norman used to tell his guests of dark deeds in which the dagger had taken part while it was still in Italy. Madeline herself had had a horror of the weapon, though she had often admitted the fascination of its marvelous workmanship, and had said upon several occasions 
that the thing fairly hypnotized her, and some day she should kill herself or somebody else with it. From an instinctive sense of duty, Marie started forward, as if to help her mistress. Then, with a convulsive shudder, she screamed again and clasped her hands before her eyes to shut out the awful sight. Cicely, too, moved slowly toward the silent figure, then turned and again gazed steadfastly at Schuyler Carleton. There must have been interrogation in her eyes, for the man pointed toward the table, and Cicely looked again to notice there a bit of paper with writing on it. She made no motion toward it, but the expression on her face changed to one of bewildered surprise. Before she had time to speak, however, the other people of the house all at once began to gather in the hall. Mrs. Markham came first, and though when she saw Madeline she turned very white and seemed about to faint, she bravely went at once toward the girl and gently tried to raise the fallen head. She felt a firm grasp on her shoulder and turned to see Miss Morton with a stern set face at her side. "'Don't touch her,' said Miss Morton in a whisper. "'Telephone for a doctor quickly.' "'But she's dead,' declared Mrs. Markham, at the same time bursting into violent sobs. "'We do not know, we hope not,' went on Miss Morton, and without another word she led Mrs. Markham to a sofa and sat her down rather suddenly, and then went herself straight to the telephone. As she reached it, she paused only to inquire the name of the family physician. Harris, the butler, with difficulty articulated the name of Dr. Hills and his telephone number, and without further inquiry Miss Morton called for him. "'Is this Dr. Hills?' she said when her call was answered. "'Yes. This is the Van Norman house. Come here at once. No matter. You must come at once. It is very important, a matter of life and death. I am Miss Morton. I am in charge here. Yes, come immediately. Good-bye.' Miss Morton hung up the receiver and turned to the frightened group of servants. "'You can do nothing,' she said, "'and you may as well return to your rooms. Harris may stay, and one of the parlor-maids.' Miss Morton had an imperious air, and instinctively the servants obeyed her. But Cicely Dupuis was not so ready to accept the dictum of a stranger. She stepped forward and, facing Miss Morton, said quietly, "'Mrs. Markham is housekeeper as well as Miss Van Norman's chaperone. The servants are accustomed to take their orders from her.' Miss Morton returned Cicely's direct gaze. "'You see, Mrs. Markham,' she said, pointing to the sofa, where that lady had entirely collapsed, and, with her head in a pillow, was shaking with convulsive sobs. She is for the moment quite incapable of giving orders. As the oldest person present, and as a lifelong friend of Mr. Richard Van Norman, I shall take the liberty of directing affairs in the present crisis. Then, in a softer tone, 
and with a glance toward Madeline, Miss Morton continued, I trust, in view of the awfulness of the occasion, you will give me your sympathy and cooperation that we may work in harmony. Cicely gave Miss Morton a curious glance that might have meant almost anything, but with a slight inclination of her head she said only, Yes, madam. Then Kitty French and Molly Gardner came downstairs and stood trembling on the threshold. "'What is it?' whispered Kitty. "'What's the matter with Madeline?' "'Something dreadful has happened,' said Miss Morton, meeting them at the door. "'I have telephoned for Dr. Hills, and he will be here soon. Until then we can do nothing.' "'But we can try to help Maddie,' exclaimed Kitty, starting toward the still figure by the table. "'Oh, is she hurt? I thought she had fainted.' As the two girls saw the dread sight, Miss Gardner fainted herself, and Miss Morton bade Marie, who stood shivering in the hall, take care of her. Relieved at having something to do, Marie shook the girl and dashed water in her face until she regained consciousness, the others meanwhile paying little attention. Schuyler Carleton stood leaning against the doorpost his eyes fixed on Madeline's tragic figure, while Kitty French, who had dropped into a chair, sat with her hands tightly clasped, also gazing at the sad picture. Although it seemed hours to those who awaited him, it was but a few moments before the doctor came. Dr. Hills was a clean-cut, alert-looking young man, and his quick eyes seemed to take in every detail of the scene at a glance. He went straight to the girl at the table and bent over her. Only the briefest examination was necessary before he said gently, "'She is quite dead. She has been stabbed with this dagger. It entered a large blood vessel just over her heart, and she bled to death. Who killed her?' Even as he spoke, his eye fell on the written paper which lay on the table. With one of his habitually quick gestures, he snatched it up and read it to himself, while a look of great surprise dawned on his face. Immediately he read it aloud. I am wholly miserable, and unless the clouds lift, I must end my life. I love S., but he does not love me. After he finished reading, Dr. Hills stood staring at the paper and looked utterly perplexed. "'I should have said it was not a suicide,' he declared, "'but this message seems to indicate that it is. Is this written in Miss Van Norman's hand?' Miss Morton, who stood at the doctor's side, took the paper and scrutinized it. "'It is,' she said. Yes, certainly that is Miss Van Norman's writing. I had a letter from her only a few days ago, and I recognize it perfectly. Let me see it, said Mrs. Markham, in a determined, though rather timid way. I am more familiar with Madeline's writing than a stranger can possibly be. Miss Morton handed the paper to the housekeeper without a word, while the doctor, waiting, 
wondered why these two women seemed so out of sympathy with each other. "'Yes, it is surely Madeline's writing,' agreed Mrs. Markham, her glasses dropping off as her eyes filled with tears. "'Then I suppose she killed herself, poor girl,' said the doctor. "'She must have been desperate indeed, for it was a strong blow that drove the steel in so deeply. Who first discovered her here?' "'I did,' said Schuyler Carleton, stepping forward. His face was almost as white as the dead girl's, and he was scarcely able to make his voice heard. I came in with a latch key and found her here, just as you see her now. As Carlton spoke, Cicely Dupuy stared at him with that curious expression that seemed to show something more than grief and horror. Her emotional bewilderment was not surprising in view of the awful situation, but her look was a strange one, and for some reason it greatly disconcerted the man. None of this escaped the notice of Dr. Hills. Looking straight at Carleton, but with a kindly expression replacing the stern look on his face, he went on, "'And when you came in, was Miss Van Norman just as we see her now?' "'Practically,' said Carleton. "'I couldn't believe her dead, and I tried to rouse her. Then I saw the dagger on the floor at her feet.' "'On the floor?' interrupted Dr. Hills. "'Yes,' replied Carleton, whose agitation was increasing, and who had sunk into a chair because of sheer inability to stand. "'It was on the floor at her feet, right at her feet. I picked it up, and there was blood on it. There is blood on it, and I laid it on the table. And then I saw the paper.' the paper that says she killed herself. And then, and then I turned on the lights and rang the servants' bells. And Cicely, Miss Dupuy, came, and the others, and that's all. Schuyler Carleton had with difficulty concluded his narration, and he sat clenching his hands and biting his lips, as if at the very limit of his powers of endurance. Dr. Hills again glanced round the assembly in that quick way of his, and said, "'Did any of you have reason to think Miss Van Norman had any thoughts of taking her own life?' For a moment no one spoke, and then Kitty French, who in a despairing, miserable way was huddled in the depths of a great armchair, said, I have heard Madeline say that sometimes she would kill herself with that horrid old dagger. I wish I had stolen it and buried it long ago. Dr. Hills turned to Mrs. Markham. Did you have any reason to fear this? he inquired. No, she replied, and I do not think Madeline meant she would voluntarily use that dagger. She only meant she had a superstitious dread of the thing. "'Do you understand her references to her own unhappiness in this bit of writing?' went on the doctor. "'Yes, I think I do,' said Mrs. Markham in a low voice. "'That is enough for the present,' 
said the doctor, as if to interrupt further confidences. Although it is difficult to believe a stab of that nature could be self-inflicted, it is possible, and this communication seems to leave no room for doubt. Now, the law of New Jersey requires that in case of a death not by natural means, the county physician shall be summoned, and further proceedings are entirely at his discretion. I shall therefore be obliged to send for Dr. Leonard before disturbing the body in any way. He will probably not arrive in less than an hour or so, and I would advise that you ladies retire. You can, of course, do nothing to help, and as I shall remain in charge, you may as well get what rest you can during the night. I thank you for your consideration, Dr. Hills, said Mrs. Markham, who seemed to have recovered her calmness, but I prefer to stay here. I could not rest after this awful shock, and I cannot stay away from Madeline. Kitty French and Molly Gardner, who, clasped in each other's arms, were shivering with excitement and grief, begged to be allowed to stay too, but Dr. Hills peremptorily ordered them to go to their rooms. Cicely Dupuy was allowed to stay, as in her position of social secretary she might know much of Madeline's private affairs. For the same reason Marie was detained while Dr. Hills asked her a few questions. Schuyler Carleton sat rigidly in his chair, as immovable as a statue. This man puzzled Dr. Hills, and yet it was surely shock enough almost to unhinge a man's brain, thus to find his intended bride the night before his wedding. But Carleton seemed absorbed in emotions other than those of grief, Though his face was impassive, his eyes darted about the room, looking at one after another of the shocked and terrified group, returning always to the still figure at the table, and as quickly turning his gaze away, as if the sight were unbearable, as indeed it was. He seemed like a man stunned with the awfulness of the tragedy, and yet conscious of a care, a responsibility, which he could not shake off. If inadvertently his eyes met those of Miss Dupuy, he shifted his gaze immediately. If by chance he encountered Mrs. Markham's sad glance, he turned away, unable to bear it. In a word, he was like a man at the limit of his endurance, and seemed veritably on the verge of collapse. End of chapter 3